Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. In this episode, you meet Veronica Appleton. Veronica is a scholar, practitioner, and children's author. She serves as Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Omnicom Agency, The Marketing Arm. Appleton is also a lecturer of intercultural communication at DePaul University in Chicago and subject matter expert for various executive education programs in diversity, equity, and inclusion. As a renowned speaker, Appleton has served as keynote and speaker for some of the world's largest Fortune 500 organizations and believes educating the future is an essential strategy for building equity in communities and systems at large. Appleton's work has been recognized by Crane's Business, Fox News, and Diversity Journal's top professionals in higher education. She's also a mentor and a board member of several nonprofits providing resources and impact in communities of color, women, men, and children. And if you happen to watch the Super Bowl um, this past weekend, then the State Farm commercial that was um, that was shown that everyone loved that um, featured Drake um, as one of the celebrities in the the commercial. You should thank Veronica for helping to make that possible. Um, I've known Veronica for for a little bit of time, and the the way in which she has navigated her career, um, become a vice president at such a young age, I think is um, something to be studied. And the way that she thinks strategically about how she's going to navigate her career as a young executive, I think is something that we could all learn. We could all learn from. And so, as always, grab your I choose a ladder notebook, your favorite beverage, and your pen, and get ready to get to work. This episode is brought to you by The Review Planner. For many of us, performance review season is about to begin. For many of us, it's also a challenge to remember all of the things that we've done during the year. So what happens is our performance reviews become a one-way conversation where our managers are telling us what they think we did during the year. And without proof of our performance, it becomes incredibly hard for us to advocate for that raise, promotion, or new position that we know we deserve. So I created the review planner because I always wanted a tool like this, a systematic way to track all of our career accomplishments that are specifically tied to the feedback and growth areas that our managers are measuring our success by. The review planner helps you create a schedule for your career growth, and it makes it easy to focus on the goals that you have throughout the year. With email templates, monthly checklists, built-in accountability and reminders, the planner keeps you on track to accomplish your goals and ensures you are spending your time on the things that actually move your career forward. I designed the review planner to help you focus on your career and prepare for your annual review so you can confidently speak up for yourself and earn what you deserve. To learn more about the review planner, head to thereviewplanner.com. Again, that's thereviewplanner.com and pre-order yours today. Veronica, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, I'm super excited to talk to you because typically when I'm talking to people in these like high up roles, they're like 10, 15, 20 years older than I am. And so it's nice to be talking to someone who is as young as you are, but who has accomplished um, as much as you are. So thank you for making the time to be here. Oh my gosh. I mean, how can I not make time for you watching? I'm excited and uh, looking forward to our discussion. And, you know, I always tell folks, I have a, a friend that I always say, you know, she always call herself a, 
a dinosaur because she's worked in the industry for so long. And I'm like, you're not a dinosaur. You're just super seasoned. So, so <laughs> here's to all the seasoned folks out there. Um, so we'll talk about your, your current position or your, not necessarily your position, but your current role, um, in a little bit, but thinking back to, um, cause you also have your PhD, like you're wild, like you have your PhD, you have all these things. I'm just like, what, what am I doing with my life? But thinking back to like your first, like, um, introduction to corporate America, right? Did you know when you were a kid that you wanted to do this kind of work? Like how did, how did corporate America become a thing to you? You know, that's a really good question, especially when you think back, right? Um, if I think back, you know, a couple of years ago, I was, my first stint in corporate America, I was uh, 17 years old. It was a work study program in high school. And I had a chance to work at PepsiCo Gatorade and Propel Fitness Water. And that was like, so eye-opening. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I knew that sports marketing was for me. And I said, mm-hmm. yes, I'm a you know, marry myself to this industry and to this practice. And um, you just learn a lot about yourself, especially when you step foot in corporate America for the first time. You understand what it means to kind of take constructive criticism. I had to learn that the hard way, right? You have to learn about professionalism. What does that look like in corporate America? It's such an eye-opening experience. And some of the things that you don't really realize until you're placed in the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start to see yourself change too, right? Mm-hmm. The way you speak, the way you uh, behave, the way you think even. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts to just restructure your environment. Um, and so there's this like process, I think that many of us go through where we identify, do I see myself adding value to this place? Mm-hmm. And you know, keep in mind many years ago, and some folks even today, they still say, do I see myself fitting in? And so what I always encourage people to think about is if you are still trying to fit in, you are not going to win. You're going to lose every time. If you can't see yourself adding value, hey, that's not the place for you. So um, I just kind of learned many things at a very early age about corporate America, but I was so grateful for it too, because then you understand how to handle certain types of conversations and, um, just so many different things, but I knew that the industry of marketing and the industry of advertising was for me at that time. Um, and then thinking back to um, to like those early days, did you know about mentorship then? Like, were your parents in corporate? Were you able to get um, some? Okay, you you say this is marketing. We are, we go together. Like, you are about to be Bay for the rest of my career. Like, did you have some guidance in how you would actually get to be able to do that kind of work? Oh my gosh, absolutely not. I mean, I didn't know the way of the land at all, and um, I think. During that internship and then even many internships after that, I think, you know, if you show up in a certain way, I think many people just kind of gravitate to you. Mm-hmm. And during that time at, at uh, PepsiCo, I had two women who really took to me as a young professional and I really appreciated it. And what I appreciated most was that they were two black women as well. Um, and I think that that's so important too, is if you can guess, see yourself um, not only in their roles, but also just see yourself just kind of leading in many ways and reaching out and reaching back. Um, so no, I, I didn't I didn't know what mentorship was at first. And um, through their 
you know, constant attention to my growth, um, my professional development, my personal development. I thought that was brilliant. And so I slowly learned uh, this term mentorship. And then especially when I was starting to pick colleges out too. So mm. then I would ask for advice of, should I go to this college? Should I go to this college? Do you know of any scholarships I should apply for? So um, I think it was just so helpful in just so many ways to indirectly receive a mentor. And then that sets the tone for the future of what mentorship could look like, what sponsorship could look like. Mm -hmm. And then may I add championship, right? So like you can really just take it to the next level of someone making sure that they can mentor you, they can steer you in the right direction. They can sponsor you, say your name and advocate for you when you're not around. And then championship, they are the singing praises of how awesome you are because many people may wear the hat of mentor but can't really sponsor. They can't really champion people. It takes time, it takes dedication. And um, at any given moment, you wanna be able to say, I recommend this person. I believe in this person's skill set." So I, I think it set the tone in the future of how that could look like for me. So thinking to where you are now, right? So you are in leadership. How has how you've approached mentorship change and changed? And then on the flip side of that, I'm sure that you are someone who people come to to be mentored by. So balancing that out with older people might want to be mentored by you because of your experience and all of those things. So how do you approach mentoring people or deciding if someone is someone that you are going to invest the time to mentor and sponsor and champion? You know, um, commitment is huge for me, right? I mean, you can you can hear the tone of someone's voice, how excited and how you know high energy they are. You can also hear, you know, in the tone of their voice if they're really committed to what is going to take them to the next level too, right? Because sometimes, not everybody when they have you know, in their minds that they want to mentor, that career growth is the top thing for them. Sometimes it's kind of like personal growth. Mm -hmm. Maybe they want to grow in other areas. Maybe they want to, you know, just seek more educational opportunities. Maybe they want to um, kind of just have someone to talk to. So I think setting the tone for what type of mentor you need me to be that's really important. Um, and then also, I, I think the, the power of reverse mentorship is huge. I mean, I have many uh, industry friends and colleagues who are multi-generational, right? So I have some that are in their 70s, some in their 60s, and then I have some in their 20s and their 30s and so on and so forth. And I think the depth of that helps you really understand uh, not only the benefits of mentorship, but the true advantage. The advantage of it is just making sure that you're able to offer yourself up. And so I think you kind of hit it on the head that I do offer myself up a lot. Um, and I think that sometimes in some of the most intimate moments, um, people can offer themselves up too because they feel comfortable with you. Your tone is the right way. Um, and, and folks can really hear your voice. You know, I think uh, this time that we have right now, we're offering ourselves up, we're offering up our voices, our thoughts, and, and that's the thing that matters the most. So um, when we think about mentorship and how it evolves, um, it's a pivoting process for sure. And I participate in 
several different mentorship programs where I provide, um, uh, you know, kind of mentorship for young professionals. And they come to me all the time with professional goals, personal goals, educational goals, mm-hmm. um, and just human goals, which I think is also kind of nice too, right? It's, I want to develop more of my soft skills. Um, that could look like anything. Mm-hmm. What it means is, is that you need to talk more, offer yourself up more, be a bit more empathetic, listen more. So the way in which you approach mentorship, um, it should start with that baseline conversation. What do you need the most? Mm-hmm. If you're happy in your role, where can I help you? What, where can we take this conversation? So I, I think it just depends on the two people or the three people, right? I mean, there could be an interesting dyad too um, because it, it can be very communal um, and, and making sure that folks are able to offer up support to each other, but the way in which it's structured can certainly change. Yeah. And one of the things, so in that Choose a Ladder community, once a quarter, we do a five-day career challenge. And one of the days is called Build a Mentor, because I think what we've been told is that we need mentorship, but we've never been really talked through how do you think about who the appropriate mentor is for where you currently are, whether it's in your life or in your professional um or in your career. And so taking the time to figure out like, do I need somebody who's a high contributing, like, but a solo person, right? Like a solo contributor, but high performing. Do I need somebody who's managed people before? Do I need somebody who's highly visible? Do I need somebody who's behind the scenes? So taking the time, I think to do a little bit of like self-analysis and self-work helps to help, helps to align you with the person who can actually provide you, like you said, the value that you need in this season, or they can tell you like, I'm not the best fit. Um, Mm -hmm. so one of the things that we also talk about all the time in I Choose a Ladder is being lifelong learners. Um, I would say that would be an understatement for you because like, (laughs) you just keep going back to get more education and more education. And so as you think about your career, right, I think it would be easy for people to be like, Hey, I'm already a vice president. I'm a young vice president. Like I could just sit and rest, but how do you think about your education as it relates to your, where you're trying to go professionally? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. And um, you can never stop learning. You know, you can never stop investing time and stimulating your brain and making sure that you're connecting with the right folks. And so a lot of learning, and you, I know that you know this, right? A lot of learning comes from talking to people and from experience. So a lot of folks really see that as gold. That is all the education I need. Um, there's also many folks who embraced a podcast in the last few years. I think that audiobooks have also been hugely embraced. Um, I think, you know, we cannot ignore, right, that we are, um, you know, kind of in a pandemic, we're in our homes. And so how do you continue learning during this time? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, of course, we can sit on the couch and we can consume television and we can consume so many of those different things. Um, But you can also consume documentaries. You can also consume a lot of really educational um, features that many networks have been able to produce and many streaming platforms have been able to produce. And that's the goal. That's the fun part as well. So I don't think you you can ever stop learning um, and you can never stop talking to people and learning from them and learning by doing. I think that that's really huge as well. Um, Picking up an old classic book. I mean, I'm huge on that too. Um, so I, I think any way that you're able to absorb new content, I think is awesome. Now I will caveat and say that 
not everybody feels that, that it's necessary to go back to school. Um, and as we know, right, research shows that black women are the most highly educated in this world, highly educated, but yet still less underpaid. Um, so I think that, yes, although many cultures value education, um, we can also value just the people dynamics and the people aspects of, as well. And you don't always have to go back to school. Mm -hmm. um, but if that's what you want to do, do it. Mm -hmm. um, I always challenge many of the professionals that I mentor and even many of my family members, go to school, get an education. It's so much freedom in order to learn. Mm -hmm. Like you are free when you can read. You are free when you can learn. Um, and, and there's power in that. Nobody can stop what's upstairs, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I, I, if, if you want to challenge yourself and learn more, do it. It's a privilege to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also um, something that many people embrace. And, you know, for even professionals that are in the workplace and they want to go back to school but don't quite want to tell their employer or they don't quite want to kind of reveal that, um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with revealing where your passion sits outside of work. Mm -hmm. If you can't quote unquote, bring your authentic self to work, maybe that's not the place for you, mm -hmm. right? Because if you can't be truly who you are, that's not where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, and then even before you join an organization, although you you change across you know, the course and, and the spectrum of when you work for an organization, but when you walk in the door of a company, you ask those questions of, do you have educational programs? Do you have educational assistance programs? If I wanted to choose to go back to school, get my MBA, get my master's, get my PhD, go to medical school, go to law school, will you support my decision? What benefits are available? Or just get a certification, right? Like if you, like what are, certification, what yes. is your professional development support? within the yes. organization? What is the policy around continuous mm -hmm. learning for your employees, right? That can give you a, a sense into what that company prioritizes, right? Is it a place where they just want you for what you already know because, and they just want to continue to use that? Well, personally, if that doesn't work for you, don't accept the position, right? Like there, you have to know what alignment looks like when, you, when you're picking positions. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, the PhD. So you knew at 17 that you wanted to be married to marketing. How did, how did the PhD help or like, what was that thought process? I know that people traditionally think about going back to school if they want to be in marketing. It's like, well, do I get a master's in integrated marketing or do I get an MBA or all those things? You decided, um, you do have a master's because you love yep. to learn, but you decided that you also wanted to add a PhD. Why, what was the thought process behind that? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. Um, so after college, uh, undergrad, I said, you know, I, I, I finished school and then I got a little bored, honestly, watching. So mm -hmm. then I said, you know, let me just go to grad school. So I applied to grad school, got in, got my master's, and then I got out of school. Started looking for a job in the industry that I said I was going to be married to. I could not find a job. No mm -hmm. one would hire me. So then I said, something's wrong with this. I interviewed for an organization um, and I thought, you know, this is the place for me. This is going to be great. Did the tour, barely saw anyone that looked like me. Mm. I said, this might be a problem. Mm -hmm. What's going on here? You do the 
protocol, right? You send your thank you emails. You say, hey, this was a great interview. Looking forward to joining the team. I didn't get the job after all of that. You know, you do the right process. You do what you're, you're told, what all these manuals and all these articles say for you to do, and mm-hmm. you still don't get the result, right? So then I started doing some research and uh, research specifically in the PR, advertising, and marketing industry. I saw that there was less than 5% of professionals that look like me as a Black woman. I said, this is a problem. I want to study this. So in order to study it, I said, well, sure. I mean, I could, you know, just kind of do more research reports, maybe write an article. But then I said, no, I kind of want to do more. I kind of want to maybe teach this practice. Maybe I want to dig a little deeper. And so I entered a a doctoral program. And then here we are, right? Fast forward, what, six years into the future, super close to, you know, virtually walking across the stage this year. So it, it, it's kind of like a full circle moment of, I have to be where I'm invested in. Mm-hmm. And if no one wants to invest in Veronica, I have to move on. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that the industry at that time um, and that organization, I couldn't see myself in that company. That was intentional. Mm-hmm. And then you fast forward a couple of years down the line, you know, of course, the industry is still faced with many of the, those issues, but there's so many great things that have happened since then, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen appointments of many professionals of color in many different organizations across the gamut. Um, and even my role, right, I'm responsible for finding talent that looks like me to work in this industry. Mm-hmm. So it's a full circle moment where I can study it as kind of a scholar, and then I can practice it as a practitioner mm-hmm. within the industry. So that, in my mind, is kind of a full circle marriage <laughs> in terms of a career. Um, and what I can offer up, you know, I can offer up my research. I can prove the point that the industry has changed from, you know, six, seven years ago to now, where my research has indicated that many people, no matter what they look like, they see Black women as leading and creative roles within this industry. My research shows that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of power in showing that. So I can't wait to share it with the world, but then also seeing results from a practical perspective where we're increasing our diversity representation. We're you know, competing in this awesome industry and also finding creative talent that just know what they're doing. It's mm-hmm. out there. Don't let anybody ever tell you that they can't find professionals of color. Mm -hmm. They're there and they exist. So if there's a black woman listening to this who is like, oh, I want to get into marketing and advertising, but I just don't see myself, right? Like, what would you say to her? I mean, I would say, call me up. (laughs) I see you. I know several other people that will see you. we talked earlier about kind of like the power of networking, right? And the power of building like a strong circle of mm-hmm. just good humans. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been doing all of, all of these years. Anytime I see a professional that has great experience, if the company that I work for doesn't have a job, I guarantee you some of the other folks that I know that are recruiters, um, sourcers, HR professionals, diversity professionals, they have a job for you. So I always encourage people to just let me know like what it is that you want to do. So then I could just send you to all of the folks that I know within this industry, because there's so many jobs that are open. So mm-hmm. many. And but, 
the part that you just said that's important is let me know what you want to do, right? And I say this all the time. You have to do part of the work. As somebody who, if you just go to someone and say, I need help, it's, it's going to take too much time to get to the meat of what's happening. Like you have to do that work ahead of time. And the more specific your ask is, the easier it is for that person that you're asking to help you, right? So if you go to Veronica and say, hey, Veronica, I need a job right? That's one thing versus, hey, Veronica, um, I'm interested in a marketing strategy position. I see that you're connected with somebody at XY company. Would you mind introducing me? That's a very specific, easy ask that Veronica can say, oh yeah, that'll take two minutes or no, that's actually not the right person. Think about this, but just, I need a job to anybody, not just Veronica, but in general, when you're asking for things, the more specific you are, the, the, the higher your chances are of actually getting the help that you need. There you go. Um, And one of the things that you said that stuck out is like when you were answering the question, you said, I see you, right? So we know that like within the corporate space, getting sponsorship and mentorship for for people, it typically happens with people who look like you, right? Like that's who we tend to mentor and sponsor. Because there are not a lot of Black women in higher level positions that we have access to, I think visibility, right, for Black women has been a struggle, in traditional times. Now that we're virtual, right, it's even harder. So what would you say are ways that maybe people could remain on the, Black women can remain on the radar of decision makers in their companies so that they are, when it's time for the promotions or when it's time for the raises or the new opportunities, that their names are actually being brought up in these spaces? I'll tell you, there is so much power in the color of our skin right now. People know or maybe I should say, have a little insight into the struggles of people of color and specifically black America. They know what's been going on. They see what's been going on. They see the the privilege on display. And so the way in which they've been able to respond is what I hinted before, the appointments of so many people of color, not just in diversity roles, but just roles in general, CMOs, Chief Digital Officer, Chief Technology. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so right now, there is power in having allies that don't look like you. And don't be afraid to establish a relationship with somebody that doesn't look like you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could literally pull a virtual Rolodex of so many people that don't look like me, but that I love so dearly because they are not their ancestors. Mm -hmm. Right. They are not what happened all those years ago. But what is important for me today is that they do acknowledge what happened. Mm -hmm. They do acknowledge the past. Um, They do acknowledge that systemic racism still exists today. Um, But I think that in corporate America, right, I think, of course, for many, 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 many years, right, there's been a shield over kind of the reality that has existed when it has related to systemic racism or creating equity in the workplace. But I think that now there is a process of uncovering that has really helped in navigating these issues, but also getting to the realities and getting to true career growth for people of color in the workplace. So whether it is a black woman or a black man that has struggled in that area before, I think that now is a crucial time for you to not be afraid to just speak up because I speak to leaders all the time. They want to hear our voices. We can't expect them to know what's going on if we don't communicate it. Mm -hmm. We can't expect them to relate. They will never be able to relate. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. but they can provide empathy, they can provide support. Um, allyship is huge right now. So build your network. I always challenge many of the professionals that I mentor. I always tell them, if you are starting a new role, or even if you're in your current role, challenge yourself every month of the year to meet someone new on a different team, right? So you're building a wide net of people that you know. Of course, you probably interact with maybe, depending on how large your organization is, you probably interact with maybe like 10 to 30 people on average, depending on what type of work you, you do, depending on what type of teams you're a part of or the organization. In addition to those 10 to 30 people, challenge yourself to have a one-on-one with somebody else that is in a different role, a different level, so then you can expose yourself. Mm-hmm. That's why you always see a lot of success with people that are part of employee resource groups because they get to tap into senior leadership. They get to tap into executive leadership because of the nature of the work, how important it is to um, build networks across the organization for change. Mm-hmm. As we all know, diversity is a change practice. And in order to get change done, you have to incorporate so many people. So. Even if you're an administrative assistant and you probably have a direct work with maybe like three to four people on average a day, that doesn't mean that you can't talk to somebody that's in operations. That doesn't mean you can't talk to somebody in marketing. The list goes on and on. So always challenge yourself to have a one-on-one with somebody you don't know in a different department and a different job level. Hmm. Um, So there's a lot of skepticism, I think, around um, black people in DNI roles from other black people because it's a uh, um, like the, the the thought that it's a, it's tokenism. They're just putting the black face in there. The black person doesn't have any power. They blah blah blah. All these things. As someone who actually sits in one of those roles, what do you think a common misconception is about the work that you guys do and that you're responsible for and the impact that you're hoping to have? You know, honestly, watching this, it's advocacy work. You know, I have been taught at an early age. I mean. The, the, the struggles that my family has been through, that my mom has been through, that I've been through, you cannot get distracted by folks that say things that don't really relate to the core of your values, right? I think that people have to learn by seeing and by doing. And, um, you know, if, if those leaders are being authentic and those leaders are doing what they know that they need to do, maybe they help them get in that job, right? But then all of a sudden, they don't know what they're doing or their tokens. Um, I think that from the outside, things can look so different. Um, so I just challenge anyone that does have that myth in mind to reach out to that diversity professional and really connect with them and talk to them because you can see things from the outside and really not know what's happening on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, all diversity work isn't pretty and shiny and like, oh, you created this partnership with this organization. That's great, that's diversity. A lot of people really, really want the spark and the fire and the fireworks, but a lot of diversity work is actually internal, it's systemic changing, it's really getting to the root and the meat of the problem. So then when you fix the organization from the inside, then the outside will prevail and it'll look really great and really shiny. So um, even though a diversity professional may seem like a token on the outside to some of those folks, um, they're probably doing a lot of grunt work, a lot of uh, um, grassroots work in order to make sure that the organization is stable for not just the now, but for the future. So I encourage those folks to just reach out and just have a one-on-one because we 
we don't need anybody else, right? Especially people that that look like us telling us that we're not doing enough. Uh, we already get that enough from other people. We don't need it from our own people. Mm. And then um, I mentioned earlier in the podcast how like you're on the younger end of the spectrum of people that I talk to. Um, so at your level, like have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? And if you have, how have you managed it to, to still allow yourself to show up and do what you have to do every day? You know, I stress can kill you watching um, and faking it can kill you. Um, so I, I, the way that I've managed that, because yes, I mean, you do like the thought goes across your mind of, hmm, all these folks are, you know, X number of years older than me. Are they really listening to me? Or are they just kind of agreeing and, you know, and then I say to myself, yeah, I earned this seat. Like I'm, I'm here for a reason. Mm. I'm an advisor. That's what I am. This, this is advisory work. Mm-hmm. This isn't show pony work. Um, this isn't pat on your back type of work. So the imposter syndrome, of course, it kicks in. It kicks in at probably one of the worst times, mm. right? When you feel like some things just aren't going in the direction where you want it to go. Mm-hmm. So the way that I've managed that is just owning my space, knowing that I, I, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And if you reinforce that internally with yourself, you can be better. There's this thing that I got recently. It's called the betterness box. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a box that gives you all the feels of just really just great things. And so there's affirmations in it. You get like a, a, a quarterly book. It's like a quarterly box or you could get it monthly. And then there's like products made by women of color in mm-hmm. the box. It's just a feel good moment. It makes you feel like I've owned this space. Like I deserve to be where I am. So um, never let the imposter syndrome kick in. And when it does, not I know not everybody probably leans on their faith, but I lean on my faith heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pray a lot and um, I seek, um, you know, my faith in many, many areas where I do feel insignificant and that helps me tremendously. So if you are a woman or a man who's maybe listening and um, you have suffered from imposter syndrome, I do encourage you to lean on your faith. You don't have to lean on another human, lean on your faith and know that, that you got what it takes to do what you have to do. Mm. And um, I find a lot of comfort in that. And then I also finally, I mean, I just find comfort in like meditating. I find comfort in just like, you know, being still. There's power in silence. Um, And so if you could just sit in a moment and just unwind, that feels so good. And um, you can come back anew, right? And just feel like, all right, I could jump back into this. It may not be a perfect situation, or maybe it is. Maybe it's just you, right? Maybe it is like no one's looking at you the way that you think that they are. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I think it helps to um, just get yourself in check because mm. uh, nobody sees you as an imposter but yourself. Mm. Um, so aligning your values is going to be really important. Mm. So in your current role, do you have, well, over the course of your career, have you managed people? 
Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, what I love most about managing people is that I'm not just managing them in their like day-to-day tasks. I always see someone beyond their role and how they can grow. And um, many of the coordinators that I currently work with, I always ask them, hey, where do you see yourself? Where do you want to go? Like, how can I help? Like, how can I connect you? And um, I just love doing that. It's fun helping people plan their careers. I don't know. I'm just like a little, a little wired differently, but I love um, encouraging the professionals that I talk to um, and I mentor to encourage them to look at LinkedIn profiles of folks where they can see the careers, like kind of mm-hmm. going in that direction. Pick a LinkedIn profile, maybe one or two, and see if that's the career trajectory that you can kind of mirror just a little bit. Not that you copy, but that you at least have kind of an example in mind. Mm-hmm. You know why so many people are just so passionate about the fact that Kamala Harris is now our vice president on all the news stations. They all you see is young girls saying that 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 could be me one day. Mm-hmm. That could be me one day. That is so beautiful to see something like that, where young girls, young women, women that are even Kamala's age that are saying, I could do that too. Well, wow, I could do that where I'm planted. I could do that where I work. I could do that in my family. I can have a blended family. I could be all of those things. So there's beauty in seeing an example of something mm-hmm. and seeing not exactly how you can mirror it, but then you could be inspired by it mm-hmm. and you can work to it. So um, there's a lot of power in, in doing that and, and just feeling like, yeah, I got this. I know, I know where I'm going. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think has come up a lot more since people have been working from home is some, um, some fear around value, right? We talked about adding value early on. So as someone who has managed people, like let's say someone, one of your, not right now maybe, but like in the past, one of your direct reports wanted to talk to you about a raise or a promotion or like new opportunities. What data are you expecting them to have? Like what receipts do they need to have before you could take them seriously in that conversation? Because I think that um, people are avoiding those conversations because they don't necessarily know what they should be saying, what they should be prepared to give, but then they are miserable because they feel like they they're ready for more. They've earned more. So what do you expect to see or know? So, you know, the way I answer that is two different ways. So uh, one, you know, research will show that at the time of appointment of a new role or the time of, you know, salary increase, oftentimes, even a raise of some sort, many people of color do not feel inclined to kind of come forward and say, yes, I'm ready for a promotion because there's the fear mm-hmm. of being rejected. There's the fear of, well, maybe I don't have, uh, maybe I'm not ready for it just yet. And so there's a tremendous amount of anxiety that that exists within that. So I wanted to caveat that. If you are a manager and even in myself, I think receipts is very important, right? You come with all of your goals. Hopefully you've been keeping a track of all of the, the wins that you've had. Hopefully you've been keeping track of your performance management review, right? And so you can go back and forth and, and establish that, hey, we set up three goals this year. I met all of those three goals. Don't wait until the performance review to kind of start talking about, hey, I won in this way, this way I won in this way. Every check-in that you have with your manager, 
you can start kind of seeking it in like, hey, you know, did really, really well on this presentation. I did really well um, in connecting you with this person and I got this sale and I got this and I did that. So then every time you're just basically building rapport as you go. So then it's never a surprise at the performance review that, hey, I'm ready for my promotion. You've already set the tone for a whole year or maybe for the last six months. It just depends. But but don't wait until the last minute to bring receipts. You bring receipts each and every time. So then you know that, hey, I got this. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. Um, and that's the easiest way that I could say that people can advocate for themselves. Do not expect anyone to advocate for you but you. Now, from a third way, like the way that I sit in this role, um, I do have to remind our managers that oftentimes if you do have a professional color or maybe even a woman on your team, they may not be the first or have been taught to say, hey, I deserve a promotion. I deserve a raise. So you may have to step out and come to that meeting a bit smarter and know that, hey, this person is ready for a promotion and actually reveal it. Be it up front. Don't wait until the person is like hesitant to ask you. You come ready. You come ready to be an advocate. And I think that that could work on both sides. Mm, got it. Makes sense. That makes complete sense. And one thing to underscore, it is your job to keep track of your receipts. It's not your boss's job. We talked about, you know, coming with that. You are in charge of one career that's yours. Your manager is in charge of the careers of everybody who works for them or with them. And so the more that you can give your manager the tools to be able to effectively advocate for you, the more likely that you will be able to get what it is that you are asking for. Um, and then, so the last question before we get to the lightning round, um, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we started, um, we started um, the podcast, but let's talk about this idea of taking care of your whole self, right? I think as black women, we often wear this superwoman cape and we, we take on so many things and we try to like keep all the balls in the air. And a lot of times what ends up happening is that we get, we're the ones who get, who get dropped, right? Like that's the last ball that we try to catch, right? While we've done all everything for our jobs and for our partners and for our spouses and for our community organizations and all of these things. And then we look up and it's like, well, dang, I've made no time for myself. Um, in this process. So for you, what does taking care of your whole self look like? I think you mentioned meditation a little bit earlier. Yes, meditation is great. And the second thing I'll say is just eating healthy, right? Like feeding your body what it needs. I knew that my body needed less caffeine. I knew that it needed less meat. And I knew that it needed more fruits and vegetables, so raw materials. And I think that, that was the greatest thing that I probably could have done. And um, I'm going to continue doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the whole eating thing. And I know at the time that we're recording this podcast, this is the week that 80% of people who've made New Year's resolutions fall off and just like do not even think about it. And most New Year's resolutions are around weight loss or eating healthy or taking care of yourself. So if you are listening to this podcast, get back on the horse. It doesn't have to be a major, <laughs> huge change. Like small incremental changes become big changes. So if it's just not drinking as much caffeine. Get back on the horse, people. Um, yes, I'm talking to you. Sitting there, put the chips down. <laughs> put the chips down. It's it's not about falling off. Or it's getting back on. So put the chips down and get back on. There um, you go. So the lightning round questions, don't think too, um, too much about it. It's just the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, what's one piece of career advice you wish you had gotten earlier in your career? Take constructive criticism. 
Do not get distracted by the criticism. Be motivated by the constructive criticism. Mm. What's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but has had the biggest impact? Listen more, talk less. What's one book that you could read over and over again? Relational intelligence. Um, We know that all decisions about your career are going to be made when you are not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you are not in the room? I am a good listener. I understand people and I look to find solutions. Mm. And on that note, thank you so much, Ronka. This was awesome. I have like all these notes that I have on there because we usually pick a quote for your graphic. And I'm like, well, I have like 50. What quote am I going <laughs> And if people want to find you or connect with you, where can they do that? Oh my gosh. Yes. Please find me on LinkedIn, Veronica Appleton. Um, and you can also go to my website at veronicaappleton.com. I am so in awe of everything that Veronica has done in such a short time. I know I keep saying how young she is, but Um, yes, she is phenomenal. And I am very grateful that we finally had the time to have the conversation. You all know that I like to end each episode with three gems that I got from each conversation. And so for this one, um, the first thing is knowing when to move on. Veronica said, I have to be where people are investing in me. And if they can't, if they don't, won't invest in me, I have to move on. And so definitely knowing when it's your time to leave, um, about the progress in advertising. I know that as we, um, look at the different industries, we see the numbers and we get very, very, very discouraged. Um, but there are people who are doing the work and who have the data that says that we are making progress and slow progress is still progress. Um, and I'm grateful for people like Veronica who are committed to doing the work to move us forward within her industry and to make sure that we are represented. And I think the last thing is her definition of what Uh, diversity and inclusion work is. So she said it's advocacy work, which I had not thought about. Um, I think that knowing why you're doing the work that you're doing and what you're supposed to be doing in that job makes such a difference. And so the fact that she looks at herself as an advocate, like that is uh, the core function of her position is to be an advocate for an advocate for people, um, really is something that, um, I think will make her really impactful in her job. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can um, subscribe to the newsletter by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Again, that's CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. You can find us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder or on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.